person is able to look at himself and say, I know who I used to be. I know where I have come from. And I know the blessings that I enjoy now being a Christian. Just like the song Amazing Grace says, I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. The idea that I have something to be appreciative for. And so such passages as this, I want to concentrate on the prodigal son. And in order to do this, we're really going to look at three separate ideas here. And they really flow together. The first will be an analysis of the passage in its context, seeing what it was all about. And if you don't do that, you can't fully appreciate the details. Then I want to look at the attitudes and the actions of that younger brother. What it is he thought and how that affected what he did. And then finally, adjusting ourselves. You know, it's almost like if here's what the Bible presents that the hand ought to look like, and here's mine, I ought to try to be able to put it so that my life is adjusted to match what God wants me to be. And so let's look at those three things as we study our lesson together tonight. To begin with, the context. Whenever you look at a passage of scripture, you ought to say, why is that there? Why did Jesus bring that topic up? Why did he use that parable? We know from this one why the Lord told these parables. If you go with me to Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, The three parables that the Lord is going to speak all relate to one particular point, And that is to point out the value of people to God. So often people just don't understand how every individual soul is precious to God. I think about such great passages as the book of Jonah. How when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, Jonah didn't care about those people. In fact, he would have rather God killed them. But God's message was sent because God cared about everybody. And so he's going to give, first of all, the parable of the lost sheep. Verses 4 through 7, indicating how that one sheep, forget the 90 and 9, the one sheep is so important to God that he will send out and go after that one lost sheep. The lost coin in verses 8 through 10, something that is precious that may have been lost through neglect or negligence, but it's still so precious that you sweep the house. You look for it every place that you can go. And then when you get to the lost sons, and I again emphasize plural. I know you don't want me to talk about the elder son, but that's who the parable's about. The emphasis on the value of the prodigal son and how God was more than willing to accept him back. The characters that are involved here is the father and the two sons. There's no doubt when you see verses 1 through 3 
to whom each of these has representations. The Father is representative of God. God is just like that father whose son leaves. He goes into a far country, and he's also the father of the son who stays there. The younger son is representative of the tax collectors and the sinners. This, this younger son represents a rebellious attitude, a flagrant disregard for what is right. And then the elder son, the older son, is representative of the scribes and the Pharisees who had brought this up to begin with. Each of the sons saw themselves differently and each of the sons behaved differently. You know, the Lord told another parable found in Matthew chapter 21, which I think is perfect to introduce what we're talking about as we analyze this. Here's what Jesus said. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came into you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Folks, that's really the message that's behind all of this as we analyze it. But now let's focus more on the parable itself and focus on what I think are some of the key thoughts. And that is the attitudes that are expressed by this young man. I don't feel like I need to repeat the story, but I can very quickly summarize it for you. Father had two sons. The younger said, Father, give me the inheritance that falls to me. He took that inheritance. He went into a far country. He lived it up for a period of time, realized that he had spent everything. He found himself in want. Then he came to himself, went back to his father, and begged for forgiveness. The father took him back. The older son got mad. But the father explained he still loved both of his sons. Well, this younger son is the one most studied and has some great lessons in life. The attitudes and the thoughts of the younger son show why he did what he did. And you say, well, what's the importance of that is? It's so that I can understand what motivates me to do things I ought not do. Is my thinking off-center? Or am I thinking in ways that are not right? Will this lead to actions that can be harmful for me? Well, most certainly it can. And so what do we know about this young man and what do we know about his thinking? First of all, he was greedy. That's what's in his heart. Greed. He wanted his inheritance and he wanted it now. You know when most people get their inheritance, don't you? It's when mom and dad die. And what he was saying in essence to his father is, 
I'd just soon you be dead and I get what comes to me now. I don't want to wait until you die. Give it to me now. Now you think about if everything the father has, he gives to his sons, what does he have to live on? His son has shamed him by asking, but the father complies. Listen to Proverbs 28, verses 20 and 22. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Hastens to be rich too fast. Verse 22, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. He's just striving, grasping. i got to have riches. But you go to chapter 20, verse 21. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Oh, no, that really applies. A person who is grasping for their inheritance. I want something that I didn't work for, my father worked for. But I want it and I want it now. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when Paul writes Timothy, he's explaining this attitude. And he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now I want you to stop before we read verse 10. You know what these verses say. But they drown men. It's almost as if they get into this and it absorbs them so much they can't think about anything else and it absorbs their lives and they're just drowning in it. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith through their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. These people... He says, have allowed themselves to be led away from the faith. What is true and what is right. And yet this young man did not realize he didn't have the maturity to handle the blessings. And thus he was a prodigal son. If you don't know what the word prodigal means, it doesn't mean the one who goes into the far country and comes back. It literally means wasteful. The idea of the words is literally, if you just translate the words, not saving. He's a man who, who wastes what he has. Second attitude he had was he was lustful. He wasn't just desirous of physical material blessings. He also wanted physical pleasure. If you go to verse 30, the elder son says... But soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you've killed the fatty calf for him. I don't think the elder son missed what was the truth. This young man, when he went into a far country, spent all of his father's inheritance. He spent it on something. He wasted it here, the elder son would said, with harlots. In Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, it's very plain and simple. Paul says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, 
not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision for it. Don't go where those kinds of things occur. Keep yourself from them. That's what good people do. This son wanted to go to the places where the bad things occurred. Proverbs 21.17 says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. You love pleasure. You gratify your flesh in any way you so desire, and you'll find out it will not turn out well. Proverbs 6, verses 25 through 28. Solomon warned his son, he says, Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Doesn't that sound just like the prodigal son? And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Too many people believe I can dabble in sin and it'll be all right. And Solomon says it won't. The third attitude that you see in this young man was a disregard for his own reputation and for the reputation of his family. Each of us probably were said, someone in our family said to us, take pride in your name. I can remember my grandfather, my grandfather Lawrence, we called him Papa, an elder in the church, would really, really drive home the point. It's not just your name that you wear it's my name too and if you embarrass yourself you not only embarrass yourself you embarrass your mama and your daddy and you embarrass me your grandfather and your grandmother this young man did not realize the choices he makes how it affects the whole family and how important it is to have that good name. Listen to Proverbs 17, 21, and 25. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to him who bore him. Solomon saying, son, do you understand your bad choices? Reflect on us. In Proverbs 29, 3. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. But a companion of harlots wastes wealth. And then Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. There's some things you can't buy. You have to earn it. And that is a good name. People who will say of you, they are a good person. They followed the good pattern of their mama and their daddy. 
This young man didn't appreciate that. Now let me speak to you young people for just a moment. Before I go to Acts 6 and verse 3 and another passage. Some of the choices you are making right now will impact you 20 years from now. There will be a time as time progresses in the Lord's church that there will be need for new deacons and new elders. And as the congregation looks out and tries to find good men to serve in those capacities. Listen to Acts 6 and verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good report or good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. You need to be the kind of person that you are living a life, not like the prodigal son who didn't care, but did you care about your family name? Or in Titus 1 and verse 6, speaking about those who would serve as bishops. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Notice, a blameless man, somebody who's worked. This young man, if he had realized what kind of reputation he was building. But he also, as regards attitude, became penitent. He looked at himself and he realized, I've made a bad mistake. It was only though when he began to reap what he had sown that he understood that. Here I am and I am feeding the pigs, the hogs, the swine. And I would like to have their food. And no man gave him anything. Wow. That's really hitting bottom. And that's when he began to see, the Bible says, the text that John David read to us just a few moments ago says, and he came to himself. He recognized it. In Luke 15, verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants had bread enough to spare? I perish with hunger. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul said, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. That's what happened with this young man. He recognized... I've done wrong. And what did he do about it? He made a change in his life. He went to his father. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that's what he's going to reap. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard You've heard some of your older people tell you that 
Their education was derived from the University of Hard Knocks. They've learned by experience there's some things you ought not do. I've got a suggestion to you young people. Listen to them. They've learned it the hard way. You don't have to learn it the hard way. You can listen and you can learn. Now, in the time that I have left, I'd like to talk about the adjusting of our lives. When you study the parable of the prodigal son and you concentrate on the younger son, what is it that you learn that ought to impact the way that you live? And I will point out to begin with that it matters what you end up doing. What you say is important. But what you do is also extremely important. Now I want to go back to a passage I used earlier. Matthew 21 verses 28 through 31. The man had two sons. The first son said, I will not go work in your vineyard. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. The second son says, I go, but he didn't. You know, you can say, I love the Lord. I am going to do what is good. I'm going to do what is right. But if you don't do it, folks, it does not benefit you. You can talk the talk, but you've got to live the life. And how important is that? Money and pleasure are deceitful. They are neither satisfying nor sustaining. When you start thinking about, I want to have pleasure. Listen to Solomon. Here's what he said. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine my, while my guiding my heart with wisdom, how to lay hold on folly that I might see what was good for the days of son of men to, un, to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted myself all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to acquire water for the growing trees of the grove. I acquired males, female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks and all who were before me in Jerusalem. And I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasure of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all the, who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on the works that my hands had done. And the labor of which I had toiled. And indeed all was vanity and grasping for wind. There was no profit under the sun. Folks you want me to tell you what's going to happen if you live your life for pleasure and wealth and 
things such as that, you're going to die a miserable old man if you make it to be old. You're going to die a miserable old woman if you, die, if you live long enough to be old. And the reason why is because you're going to realize the pursuit of those things do not satisfy you, will not satisfy you. Number three, you will learn that sin has consequences. The devil lied to Eve and said, The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not surely die. The world will tell you, you can drink if you want to, you can be promiscuous if you want to, you can do whatever you want to do, and there are no payments to be made whatsoever. Listen as Peter addresses this in 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him is he also brought into bondage. These people will hold out and say, oh, you can do it. It won't hurt you. It'll be all right. And the answer is no, it won't. They're already, they themselves are slaves of their own corruption. And someone says, but hey, I can be forgiven. Yes, you can be forgiven. But the consequences of sin continue. You ruin your name, you can repent but you'll never be able to gain that perfect name back again. You choose to sin and you may still have to pay worldly consequences even though you may be spiritually forgiven. When the prodigal son returned, he bore the marks of a man who had wasted his father's inheritance. Number four, God will allow a person to make bad choices, but he also allows them to suffer for them. I have to understand that God is not going to make me do right. When you look at the prodigal son, and you realize that it came time for his father to give him the inheritance, he gave it to him. God gives us the ability to choose. If we didn't have the ability to choose, then we wouldn't be humans. We wouldn't freely and from our heart love God. But you see, the truth is God also allows us to suffer the consequences of our actions. If he didn't, then we'd all just say, hey, what's the use of doing right you know, there are some people who take, teach once saved, always saved. And then you say to them, well, well why do you do what's right then? Uh, I don't know. If you can live like the devil and be saved on the day of judgment, why are you going to church? Why are you giving of your means? You can just do anything you want. Consequences. One must be humbled before he can make necessary changes.
There's several passages of scripture that I thought about bringing in here. I dealt with some of them last week with regards to David and Bathsheba. But the truth is sometimes we have to be knocked down to our knees before we see our need. And the best thing for you and I to do is to realize who we are and the mistakes we have made before you and I get to the point that we reach bottom. But if you don't change, you will reach bottom. Number six, God is loving, merciful, and willing to receive back his penitent children. I've known lots of parents who've had children who were disappointing to them. In fact, I would imagine most every parent at some point and some time in their life has a child who has frustrated them in a spiritual sense. There may be some of you who have escaped it, but I don't think everybody has. And yet every parent knows that what you want is that child to come back because you love them. You care about them. And that's exactly the way God looks at everybody. He looks at every one of us, and when we do what's wrong, his desire, his heart is, I want you to come back. I don't want to lose you. The context, in my judgment, reveals the heart of God. The heart of those scribes and Pharisees was hard. There's no love there. No love for the soul, but God does. He wants what he has lost to be recovered. Whether it was a lost sheep, a lost coin, or a lost son. And then he rejoices when each returns. The lost sheep is found. Everybody, let's get back. To, let's have a party together. Let's enjoy one another's company. The coin that was lost. Let's call my friends. Let's call my neighbors. I have found my coin that was lost. The son who has been away in a far country, who we thought was dead, is now back. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a great feast. God loves those who are returning. We are precious, but God lets us make our own decision. It took the sun and the far country to say, it's my time for me to go home. Tonight, we have an invitation at the end of every sermon. It's not just a tradition. It's not just something we do. It's because we ought to always recognize that God is pleading with the prodigal. Come home. If you're not a Christian, tonight you need to become one. Because you believe and you're willing to repent of your sins, Confess that faith. Be baptized. The water behind me is ready. Garments are ready. But it's your choice. Your prodigal, come home. While together we stand and sing.